Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Georgina Moore. Her new book is The Garnet Girls. It's all about whether children can ever be free of their parents' mistakes. We talk about how working in PR gave her a fantastic idea of what publishing is like and how tough an author's life really is and where her books might be sold. Also, we chat about making sisters similar but also different and why really she never expected her characters to do their own thing. You know, I've listened to guests you've had before uh, on Writer's Routine and what they've said about, you know, plotting and so on. But when you are writing a character-led novel... You know, it literally is character led, you you know, and I remember here, I used to hear authors talk about this and think, oh, that can't be true. Uh, when they would say that, you know, they'd have a plan for a character, but sometimes a character would, you know, slightly go off on a tangent, do their own thing, do something surprising for the author. And I just thought that was sort of brighter speak. Um and, you know, I heard it so many times, Dan, you can imagine in events, listening to authors, I just thought, oh, that's just, you know, something they say. But, 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 it's, but, but it's actually true. It is true. Um, you'll suddenly think, oh, God, this character really wants to do this. There is more on the way with Georgina Moore in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Hello. Welcome to the show. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day to give you some advice, some inspiration, tips, tricks, just to help you out, to help you plan your day, to give your idea the best chance of getting it down onto the page, to learn from the best. My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for being there. This week, we're with Georgina Moore. Now, Georgina has worked in publishing and PR for a long time, working on book campaigns, asking a lot of authors, and now she is literally in the other chair. Her new book is The Garnet Girls. It tells the story of Rachel, Imogen and Sasha struggling to escape their alienated family. Trapped across beautiful beaches in the Isle of Wight with a touch of London glamour in there too, we find out if the girls can ever truly be free of what their parents have done. We talk about why her work has made her realise what she has asked of authors, how that might have been tricky for them at times. Also, how she balances her busy life in PR with writing novels and why, like for many, many of us, lockdown gave her the time and the space, the chance to write. You can hear how tough it is to realise that some characters aren't as developed as other ones. 
how turbulent that can be to your story, how much you need to un- upset everything else to, to flesh them out. And it's all soundtracked to the delightful, gorgeous creaking and groaning of a houseboat moored and shifting on the Thames in London. There's a lot going on this week, so let's get straight into it with Georgina Moore. And we start off with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I'm really lucky, Dan, because I have Betsy the writing boat. Um, We live on a houseboat. Uh, on an island called Tags Island, which is just in the Thames down from Hampton Court Palace. And when I got my book deal, um, I had this idea of mooring up a canal boat. A little, it was a, it's a little tiny canal boat on, on the back terrace of our houseboat. Now, our houseboat isn't a kind of, a lot of people imagine that's a boat tied to a boat, but our houseboat is actually kind of more like a sort of floating two-story house with a garden and everything. Um, So this little canal boat, which my daughter named, in case anyone's wondering why I called it Betsy, um, is at the back, um, moored up. uh, And that's where I am right now talking to you. um, And it's where I write um now i'm very lucky and so i can tell you what i can see i can see some cormorants drying their wings on the posts of the weir uh, i look down to the river i can see um that the river's very high today and just to warn anyone if anyone hears any flapping or creaking it's because it's a very windy day um and so and i am on betsy and she's moving around a bit but yes so i have the desk sort of facing a window overlooking the river and the weir and i get the gulls sort of almost flying at me uh the heron squawking overhead um it's and it's very peaceful and at night it feels like i'm sort of the only person on the river um the best thing as well is that the children uh sunny and daisy um have to come downstairs come out of the door climb onto the boat and quite a lot of the time they don't they just send me a message going mom can you come out of the boat now which is great really really good so yes so that's where i write Uh, it's interesting that you've got two boats i mean the old uh, sailor's adage is the boat stands for bung on another thousand and you've got two of them (laughs) i've actually got three um I've got one in a houseboat in the Isle of Wight, which we use, we rent out as a holiday rental. Um, yeah, I think it's a bit greedy, isn't it, Dan, having three boats? But but one is, one is yes, one is our house. One is where we live. Um, and Betsy's just tiny. She's just a little floating office. And the other, we can only really make work by doing it as a rental. And, you, and it's in the Isle of Wight, which is where the Garnet Girls is set. Um, and without it, without Sturdy, which is the houseboat in the Isle of Wight, we, I, I wouldn't, I don't suppose I would have written the Garnet Girls because it was very much from spending time there and on the island that I got my inspiration from. Well, let's talk about Betsy, the writing boat then. You said the stunning wildlife that you can see floating or uh, flying past the window. What is that kind of in, in the immediate uh, around you on, I guess, the small desk that you're writing with due to space? Have you got plot points? Have you got notebooks, scraps of paper? What's around you there? So, yes, I have. I, I really love a notebook, like a lot of writers, a lot of people. So I have um, papier notebooks. Um, so I have one on the go at the moment for the Garnet Girls, which is sort of notes on PR and stuff I'm doing. And then I have one for my next book, Um which I write in whenever I have a thought. I have obviously my MacBook. Um, 
and I have lots of proofs scattered around. Um, I'm very lucky because of my career as a book publicist um, and someone who writes and talks a lot about books on social media. I get sent a lot of proofs from other publishers, which is nice. So I've always got sort of books around my desk. The next proof I'm going to read. Um, and yeah, that's what, so the, it, it's quite a big desk overlooking a river. Um, and then in Betsy, I've got um, some nice little chairs, a little stove to keep me warm and a kettle very important Dan to have a kettle um and so people can come and sit in here and chat to me and sometimes the children really do like coming in here and sitting on <laughs> by the stove um a bit more than I really intended them to but yeah that's how it's set up so it's the heat that brings them into the boat not um the attention of a mum I think it's both and 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 it's quite cozy and and it creaks and it, it's quite there's something very lulling and reassuring about the way it sort of creaks on the water and I think they like that so they often find excuses to say oh can you help me with my latin and then stay for too long I, 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 want, I want to touch on this on this right now because I'm you, you've mentioned kind of your work in PR and I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that so you kind of head up a, a public relations company who do a lot with uh, authors and, and with books and with book campaigns and all arts and culture. Was, was you as a writer yourself, was that in the plan? Was that something that you'd always had percolating away? Or was it kind of, well, I'm, I'm around all these authors, I picked up something, so let's give it a whirl? So I think a lot of people have come out of the woodwork and said that, you know, when they knew me as a child, I was you know, writing all the time. And I do remember, I remember writing a, a story for school and filling exercise books with stories and writing a really hilarious ripoff of Anne of Green Gables, which was called Aurora of Willowdale. Um, so, and things like that. Um, and I think it was always what I thought I was going to do. And it, books, and I was a total reading nerd. I was reading the whole time. Um, and it was always, my father had a small academic publishing house where he did everything himself write the copy sell the books he used to take me to London Book Fair when I was a child and so I saw all that so I suppose it was kind of in the blood and um and then I went to after I did my English degree I, I wrote lots of really um foolish letters sort of to publishing houses saying please make me an editor I, mean, I suppose thinking because I think when you come out of university you do sometimes feel that you're sort of in that studying feeling and I thought that there was really only one job in publishing which was being an editor I didn't really know much about the other jobs and um I went to work in a bookshop which I absolutely loved um it's still really, I always, always look back at it as a really happy time being a bookseller. And um, people used to come in, authors would come in and, and someone would organise, you know, a launch or an event or a reading or or even coming, you know, for the kids section, dressing up as Where's Wally or, you know, organising kids events. And I remember saying to someone um, one day, a rep for Hodder and Stoughton, I said, um, who does all that? you know who looks after the authors and does events and read and she said oh well yeah that's publicity and I was like ah and I have it was Dan like a light bulb had gone on um it was okay that's what I'm going to do that's right up my street and um so then I just really really hassled all the reps that came in from all the publishers until one day um the rep for Hodder and Stouser came in and said um they're looking for a publicity assistant um and that was it 
Um, and so I think to answer your question rather than rambling on, um, they, it was always there. And then I just was having the best time in publishing, really loving it, working with incredible authors. I worked my way up till I became publicity director and was running the press office, um, at Hodder and then headline. And it, I think in that job, you're so busy. You, you, you're on the road with authors. You're going to events. It's quite a social job. Uh, it's a lot of evenings. You're busy, busy, busy. So you do, there's not really, it's not really the kind of job where you've got a lot of free time to think about writing. And then the kids came along and so on. So I think, re- so really it was just locked. And also to be fair, there's elements of working in publishing which would put you off as well because you see how hard authors have to work, how competitive it is, how much has to be done by the author themselves, uh, what a commitment of time and energy it is. Um, and I think probably having observed that and seen how, and knowing from trying to kind of get people to talk about new books and debut books, knowing how hard the landscape is and you see an, a sort of loss of media for books every day, almost it feels like that. I mean, there's so many things we used to have um, to promote books, and which is why it's so great to have podcasts, but lots of things we used to have 10 years ago that just don't exist anymore. Um, so I think all that shaped my, sort of put me off for a while, but it was locked down really um that gave me my time back and, and that's when I sat down and, and started to write the Garnet Girls. Talking about your awareness of what the publishing as an industry is like I, I guess that might have stood you in better stead as a debut author so I, I, I quite naturally so many debut authors when they've worked so hard to get the contract they've then had to take their book and probably change it quite significantly for the publisher then they finally get it out there and then sometimes it can be very eye-opening in in the more disappointing aspects of it. Whereas for you, how much of having done that work before, knowing about it, kind of set you up to realise, well, the work's only just started and it's not all sunshine and roses? I think that, yeah, I I hope that's true, Dan. I hope I'm not being a nightmare as well. I hope they're not all going, oh, God, Georgina again. Um, But yes, I think it's so, it's a big, it's a great community, to be part of um and i think you have to like any community if you want to be part of it you have to give back to it um you know you have to get to know other authors that are writing in your genre support other authors that are writing in your genre be open to all kinds of um event situations where you might be supporting another author on panels with other authors looking for every opportunity saying yes to every opportunity I mean I think you know as important as doing the big stuff is doing some of the smaller stuff where the audience actually might have more engagement uh, and actually where what you're doing might result in them buying the book because they are book buyers. So it's kind of saying yes to everything um, and it's a lot of work and it's also I think you have to have quite a thick skin as well as a as a writer as an author because you know you are aware and and there's still a terrible thing going on on social media where a lot of people are sort of tagging authors in bad reviews and stuff you do have to develop quite and I think I already have that from being a book publicist because 
as a book publicist, you care so much about the authors you're working with. And when you are passionate about a debut author and you want to land that book, you want everyone to talk about it and you're spreading word of mouth about it, you feel as much as they do about anything that comes along that's bad or a bad review that unsettles them or something on Amazon that upsets them. So, you know, so I sort of have worked through that myself and I was prepared for it. Um, so yes, I think you are right. There's lots of elements of it that I'm ready for, um, and will embrace and other stuff that I know to be wary of. It's also good to remember that the, the, the work on kind of your, your, the full time side of things that the PR for for any author never really ends. I remember speaking to, uh, I was in an upstairs room at a writing festival. Uh, it was kind of late at night, and there were some of the biggest crime writers around up there, and they were all kind of <laughs> voicing their slight jealousy that it was only really writers like Stephen King who could afford to not really ever do any press. That everyone else, you know, still does the book tours, still does the festival circuits, even if you've sold, you know, millions of copies and you're onto your thirtieth published books. It never really ends. No, I don't think it does. And I think I think that's why the authors that enjoy it, you know, it, it's it, it's an easy it, it's easier for if you if there are elements of it. And of course, you know, there will always be parts of um, some of the things that authors are asked to do and some of the things I have asked authors to do over the years. That's not their ideal, you know, request. But I think, I mean, I can, what, an author I really admire, um, who I worked with and who's now a friend at Patrick Gale, um, I remember him saying to me, you know, that he started doing events in bookshops and he'd have, you know, 20, 30 people, you know, and now uh, he's written 18 books, but now he is, he, he can hold a church. <laughs> we always, we all say you, you aspire to the church and cathedral, um, but he's worked at that you know year on year out he has toured and now you know festival people know him festival organizers know him bookshop owners know him they know that he's good at events they know he's reliable they know that they will get fantastic um audience um engagement and so he's become a favorite of that sort of you know scene um but he's worked so hard to do that uh, and put in a lot a lot of time and effort um but i think also he enjoys it um, and I think it is harder for people who maybe don't feel so, who aren't so social and, and may, you know, and I think it's really tough on some writers. I think writers think this is a lovely thing I can do on my own <laughs> and be in my own world. And then someone like me comes along and goes, oh, by the way, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got, and they're like, oh, goodness. Um, so I think it does, it does help if you're minded to go out and meet people, if you're that kind of person and, and harder for people who don't that's not something that they're really interested in um so i think it can be really challenging it's really really different actually it, it's hard to get a routine when you've got all that happening um fairly recently i have sort of structured my week so that i have a morning two mornings uh devoted just for writing um and you know on those days i you know, shut down my email, shut down my, and focus on the writing. Um, and then I do anything else that I need to do early hours at the weekend. Um, at the moment, I've finished uh, a draft of the next book and it's with my publisher. So I'm waiting to see what they think and what needs to be done on that. Um, but I, th yes, I think that when I wrote 
my first book, The Ghana Girls, it was a matter of getting up really early because it was locked down. Everyone was at home and finding some space before the day started. Um, and the reason I could do that, I could make that a routine, was because a lot of the social and evenings and a uh, side of my job had come out. You know, it wasn't happening anymore. The events weren't happening. Festivals weren't happening. And so I suddenly had a lot more time. Um, and I really miss that, actually. I, I, I'll, I'll see if, if that can ever come back into my life, that early morning. It's just, it's fantastic. So a lot of writers swear by it. I know that, you know, talk about it when you read writers' books, that that morning when, when you almost have the world to yourself, it's such a great time. Your brain is very clear. Um, so I, I, I really enjoyed that part of when I was writing The Garlic Girls in lockdown. But yes, now I feel like I will, um, you know, be squeezing it in wherever I can. But I have set aside these two mornings. Um, so that should help going forward. As someone who is used to the social uh, the, the social aspect of, 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 of a job like yours. So maybe being up slightly late, having to... Um, mingle quite a lot are you um how how was your energy in the early morning how good were you at switching on because that was the only time you could work well you see Dan you've sort of hit the nail on the head there with me I um um I love social things and it's as you say it's a big part of the job and I'm not very good at going home early um anyone who knows me will back me up on that um if I'm out I tend to be out um so that was what that's what changed in lockdown. Uh, you know, I wasn't out um, and therefore I could get up. Uh, I think I would find it really, really hard now um, to do that five o'clock uh, stint before the day um, because, you, you know, the, you've got the evenings, you've got socials and you and also that, you know, for people who have a long commute, that takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? I, I think we, I, I was, re everyone's been really surprised since they've gone back to from working to, from home that 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 they used to do that every day. Um, and mine is quite because uh, because I get to live in this wonderful place. It the the downside of it is that it's some way away from where the Midas office, that's the agency, um, the PR agency I work at. It, it's some way away. I mean, it's about an hour and a half to get there. Um, so all those factors, the fact that they had come out of my life, uh, meant I could get up at five. I mean, I, to be fair though, Dan, I was slightly sleepy at about 4.30, but I just worked through it. Yes, yeah, it's amazing the way that we, we, we bracket up our energy at the moment. And to be fair, when you were writing The Garnet Girls, when you knew you had these small windows of opportunity to write, how, how good were you at knowing what? was to happen in that time what you needed to get done was there a set plan did you know you would get a, a chapter or a thousand words done or was it a bit freewheeling so i actually i, I find that if i have the idea the general idea of where so so the garnet girls is a very very character-led novel um so i think that makes a huge amount of difference and i uh, you know i've listened to guests you've had before uh, on writer's routine and what they've said about you know plotting and so on but w when you are writing a character-led uh novel you know it literally is character-led you you know and i remember here i used to hear authors talk about this and think oh that can't be true uh when they would say that you know they'd have a plan for a character but sometimes a character would you know slightly go off on a tangent do their own thing do something surprising for the author and i just thought that was sort of writer speak um 
And, you know, I heard it so many times, Dan, you can imagine in events, listening to authors, I just thought, oh, that's just, you know, something they say. But, but, but it's, but, but it's actually true. It is true. Um, you'll suddenly think, oh God, this character really wants to do this. So I, you know, I, didn't, I'm not writing a psychological thriller where, you know, I can imagine and, and, and some books that I read, you just are in huge admiration of the, the plot structure, the narrative structure, especially if there's dual timeline or even triple timeline. But um, I wasn't doing that. And so I had a bit more freedom in terms of letting it flow and, and come. And, and I did sit down and work out because the, there are a lot of voices in the Garnet Girls. There are four voices. There are the three sisters and the mother. And so that took a lot of work to get the voices different um, and to give each character a narrative arc so that you really, the reader really feels they're going on a journey. So it's not like I was free, totally freewheeling. But once I had that sort of overall arc in my mind for each character, I kind of went with it. Um, and so that meant that when I did find these windows, you know, if I had an hour or so, I could find myself writing 2000 words. Um, and I, I have followed a lot of authors, um, and I look after an author called Maggie O'Farrell, who many of your listeners will be huge, huge fans of, um, and many other authors who are extremely pragmatic about getting the words on the page, um, and I think a lot of your listeners will have heard this from many, many authors, but, you know, I remember the advice that I took away was that if you were going to write something, you can't, you know, you're never going to write something unless you just get, you've got to get the words down. Uh, and a lot of people talk about the first draft being the bones of the story um, and get the words down because until you've got the words down, there's nothing there to play with. Um, and having now come out the other side of written a novel, that is so true. And such great advice. Um, just go with it and don't keep looking back and thinking, oh, God, this is awful. I mean, really, did I write that? Just just really follow it through so that the words come get down. Um, and I'm really, really grateful that I did listen to that advice. Um, that, you know, at the end of the day, sitting there waiting for the muse to strike is not how writers work. Um they, 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 they know they've got to get the words down. And then a lot of the hard work is obviously, as you know, down in the editing. Well, moving onwards, uh, ha having written the debut and you mentioned you got the draft done of your second book, is that something you're keeping in mind uh, more, more readily? The idea that it is all about practicality. Maybe it is about plotting more sometimes. It very simply is about just getting those words down as, as early as you can and figuring out from there. Yes, and in fact, the first draft. I when I when I looked at the first draft, I was like, it reminded me of the so the first draft of the new book reminded me how much work was done um, in the editing of um, my first draft of the Garnet Girls. Um, because, you know, you get feedback from various people. You get feedback from your agent. You get feedback from maybe someone you trust, your first reader. My first reader is my partner who's a psychotherapist. Um, and he's been incredibly helpful and useful in terms of really 
helping me understand where those characters may have come from, why they are the way they are. Um, and so you get quite a lot of feedback on, on a draft that you think is uh, worth sharing with people. And actually on this second book, um, probably because hopefully, fingers crossed, I've learned some things along the way, um, I was ready to share that first draft. But I still know, and I'm excited actually, I'm really excited to do the work Um but you, you want to gather all the feedback first before you sort of launch into. And a lot of the feedback will be about, you know, this character is well done, but this character is underdeveloped. Or, you know, especially when you when you have a multi, when you have a cast of characters, that's often the case that one might not be as developed as some of the others. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've so I can I, I know the work to come and I'm actually, you know, ready to do it and excited to do it. Is that tough when you have that realisation that one character is not as developed as the others? Because developing that then impacts the rest of your story. How, how do you go around, how do you go about in, in a story with multiple, multiple characters sitting there and thinking, right, I, I just need to work on this one. Is it the case of, of brainstorming, writing more character, writing more paragraphs in a plan? How does that work? So... It, it's an interesting one because the, the the character that everyone thought was underdeveloped in the Garnet Girls was the character that was carrying the secret. And if a character is carrying a secret, you, you, you're almost the, the the writer feels secretive about them because you, yeah, you don't want to talk about them. So, um, in the end, I became I revealed the secret much earlier, and actually, nothing is lost. I don't think, and and people have said it isn't by by that, um, because. The, the Garnet Girls isn't a novel so much. It, it is about secrets, but it's more about the impact secrets have on a family. And so uh, I don't think actually the plot lost anything by revealing that earlier and actually gained a lot by me being able to develop the character more. I think, Dan, I, for me, I know those characters. I feel like I really know them once, once I've written them. So it's just about pulling out more and giving them more space in the narrative and maybe also allowing more of their backstory to come through um that's really how i think and also maybe thinking about whether listening to feedback about whether certain parts of their character are realistic um or fit with the rest of their character and how they interplay with the other characters it was quite hard in the garlic girls because the three sisters are meant to be very different but like all siblings you know they they probably, you know, sound the same on the phone and they'll have a lot of mannerisms like any family, it's similarities. Um, and I really wanted to capture that and have quite a lot of phone conversations in the book with the sisters and them. And so it was really, that was one of the things I remember with dialogue. And you don't, in events and festivals, you don't hear a, a lot writers talking about dialogue and how hard it is to do. Um, but getting their voices similar, but enough individual that the reader could identify them was yeah that was one of the things I had to work quite hard on and we're still on the routine so when the words aren't coming out even though they need to come out in the small slivers of time you're allowed uh, have you learned anything along the way that helps you out maybe taking a lovely walk down the Thames maybe maybe going for a run around Tags Island or a cup of coffee at a certain point the plot walk um I yes, it's interesting. I, I remember someone saying to me, a writer saying to me, that as most a lot of the writing goes on when you're not writing. Uh, so you're percolating, 
um, when you're in the middle of it, you know, wherever you might be, you might be walking the dog or whatever you're doing. Um, it's all going on in your head. And actually, weirdly, I, if I couldn't sleep at night, I would, you know, often think about something to do with the characters that I hadn't resolved and, and it might come to me in the night. But then, of course, the worry is that you haven't written it down. But yes, I think I, if it wasn't coming, yeah, I'd, I'd get up, move away from the desk and sit with it a bit and let it come and not force it. Um, but I didn't really have that. I didn't have that struggle with the Garnet Girls because I think, I think because it was th- these this routine of getting up in the morning and having the world to myself before the day started and before I had to do online school, which so many mums and dads had to do at that time. I think that... Um, I just sort of really went for it and made the most of that time because I knew I wasn't going to get it again. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We'll get back to it with more from Georgina in just a sec. Very quickly, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you plan your day and tell your stories, if you like listening to the show, if you like the episodes that we bring you more or less every week and you would like to see that carry on, you can help us do that by becoming a backer and pledging to support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. For that, you get our unending thanks, you get merch, there is bonus content, there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. We've got a busy few months on the podcast. Uh, guests like Greg Hurwitz and Dania Kakavka coming up for you in the next month or so. And if you would like to see more of this, if you'd like to help us carry on, doesn't take a lot just anything you can spare i know times are tight so anything that you can give goes an extraordinarily long way and i'm very very appreciative of that the easiest way to do that to pay it back and show your support to help us out is by pledging to help us out by becoming a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine 
Let's get back to it then with Georgina Moore talking all about her debut, The Garnet Girls. We chat about why becoming a writer has made her a little embarrassed about what she's asked authors to do before at her day job. Also, you can hear why so much of writing doesn't actually take place on the page. It's getting it sorted in your head normally while you're doing other stuff and while your mind isn't actually on the story, strange as it sounds. And we kick things off talking about the new book and where the Garnet Girls, Rachel, Imogen and Sasha came from. So I always wanted to write about family, mothers and daughters, because I think the mother-daughter relationship is such a push-pull <laughs> and a complex one that's fascinating to me. I love personally love reading about it. I also love reading about sisters. Um, I, I liked always this idea that within a family you get set your role um, and it doesn't matter if you grow up and change. You are that person that a family forever, whether you're the messy one or the clever one. or the, And um, it's hard to break out of those roles and I think they can have an impact on your life. Um, and I also wanted to explore this idea that the mistakes your parents make uh, can have an impact. You know, the things that they do, uh, the secrets they've had, um, the crises and drama they've had can have an impact on, on their children's lives. So I kind of always knew what I wanted to write about and the kind of book I wanted to write. Um, but I, it was very, as you say, very inspired by the Isle of Wight. And in, uh, we were walking along the beach and I saw a kind of slightly shambling house on a beach um, and a family coming out of it. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder what it would be like if there was a family tied to a house like this. Um, but maybe one of them didn't want to be tied to it and wanted to break away. Um, and it sort of started there, really. And I think when it was lockdown and we couldn't go anywhere, we couldn't go to the Isle of Wight. Um, and it really is my happy place. I love, uh, I have border terrier bomber and I love walking him on the beaches and the kids, the kids are always moaning cause I'm always making them walk on the beach in all weather, but bomber doesn't care, which is nice. But so I, yeah, so I was, I was away from it and I was thinking of it. And, um, this was a way I think of, of being there, uh, of, of being there in my head, um, on, on the Island with these characters. So, uh, uh, very simply, what happened next, Georgina? You've said that this was quite a character-driven piece. You've seen this family. It's taking you back to such a precious place, the Isle of Wight. What happened next before you could move that into making a plot through it? What What were the questions you were asking yourself? Yes, I, th- I think um, I really one of the things that really motivated me was the fact that I don't think in books there are many older female protagonists and this was one of the first thing ideas I had uh, that really helped me shape the Garnet Girls is you know if you are over 50 in in a novel you quite often are consigned to the corner um, and you, you stop being centre of the drama um, and my protagonist the mother Margot who's about to turn 60 in the Garnet Girls is definitely not that. Uh, she is sexy. She's a live wire. She's a nightmare. <laughs> she's a piece of work. She is trying to control all her daughters. Um, she's 
but also she has an incredible charisma and love as well for her family. Um, and so I, she was very central to what I was trying to do, which was to explore this idea of an older woman who was most sent, most essentially driving driving the story and the drama so that was really important to me so once I sort of established that the rest worked around it that I knew that she had these three daughters and they had lost their father when they were very young um and he and and she that was the great love of their mother's life and after that point she didn't want to talk about it um and so it becomes this kind of secret that they all bear and they, the impact it's had on their lives so it began to take quite quite good shape quite quickly from there and you've got these characters you've said they're from the same family so there will be similarities and likenesses but how are you fleshing those out is is it done before writing is it done during the story how much do you know about sasha and rachel and imogen before you start typing away Yes, that, that's a really good question, Dan. Because actually, I had um, I had taken note that uh, I'm trying to think which writer it was, someone I'd listened to anyway, who who had said, you know, just note things down about those characters. You know, where did they go to school? What was the first book they read? What's their, you know, what's their favourite? You know, are, are they a coffee drinker? Are they a tea drinker? So I did do that. I had a notebook that I had with me quite a lot, and. Um, if there was something, you know, are they massively into clothes? Are they, or, you know, are they not into clothes? You know, do, so I would note things down about the characters. Um, I had a notebook for it um, so that I had a sense of them. And a lot of it didn't make it in, uh, into the into the final book. Um, but I think it did help me have a sense of them. And soon, once I'd done that, and once I started writing them, they were with me, and I did have a good sense of them. And it was really, really strange to me, because I remember someone saying to me, a friend saying to me, oh, she she just, she was one of the early readers. And she said, well, I keep trying to work out which Garnet girl you are. And, um, and she said, I think you, pro-, she said, I, and I said, well, what do you think? And she said, well, I, I, you know, I think there's probably a bit of you, you know, in all of them. And I and I said, well, that's that's probably true, but I did think that when I wrote that I would struggle with having myself too much in those characters. But actually, it was so strange the way, having never done it before, the way they just become real people to me. Um, And in many ways, that I sort of I feel like they're out there because I didn't tie everything up too too neatly. There's one of the girls doesn't get a happy ending I didn't want everything sewn up neatly because it's a slice of their life you know and I have sort of left them they're out there as someone put it they're out there on the dover of St Helens and the Isle of Wight living their lives um and so for me when I talk about them like I am to you now Dan they they are very real to me that's amazing isn't it and uh, it's weird (laughs) I know I know and it's always the same but I've spoken to some authors who regard it completely differently who they see it as a snapshot, a slice of the life, as you said, but they're perfectly happy to never think about them again. It's, oh, that's fine. That's I can pick that up and go again. Just one last thing about the characters there. You, you have your three characters and you're asking these questions of them. It's, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, in, it's interesting to ask. Um, you're getting to know them as you go and you're not giving them these happy endings you're caring about them late on how, how much I, I guess how much do you know about before they're they're the snapshot of life that you speak to them and you see them in 
Well, I did actually, I found in, in the process of writing the Gullet Girl, so there are some, um, there are some chapters in the past. Um, and actually, it's interesting you ask that, Dan, because I think there's one particular character, Rachel, um, who the reader, and I've had quite a lot of reader early, early reader reviews, you know, on NetGalley and Goodreads and stuff, readers say this, that you don't really understand her until a bit later on in the book because I, I dive back to the time when she's a child, when the, her father disappeared and where she's really having to, she's only 11, but she's having to look after the family because the mother has been so destroyed by what's happened. She's taken to her bed, literally taken to her bed and left them almost to fend for themselves. And then you understand Rachel. Um, and it's asking quite a lot of the reader because the reader probably until that point is maybe feeling, I mean, they're not always sympathetic, the Garnet girls. Um they are very flawed and, and some might say, you know, slightly narcissistic and very self, you know, there's a lot of their own introspection. But I hope by the end, um, the reader feels that they at least understand where they've come from, even if they can't sympathise with all their choices. Um, and I do love myself when I read. I do love a flawed character, I have to say. Um, and so... You know, I have written a, the, the kind of book that I really love to read. But, you know, not everyone, Dan, I don't know whether, you, whether you're the same, but not everybody, interestingly, does love flaw characters. They really need someone that they feel is nice and good and that they can get behind. Well, I'll tell you what, I've, I've just finished watching the show The White Lotus. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, And, I mean, it's, it, it's fantastic storytelling, but I, I, I don't know. Something has happened recently, maybe post-lockdown, where I can't abide spending a lot of time with like people who are abhorrent i just i just i have no i have no time for them there, there's no there's not too many redeeming qualities i, I just can't yeah, that's interesting yeah I, I don't know what's changed in my life recently that means i just want happy joy all the time anyway very quickly um you, you we spoke about author speak earlier on and, and you're in disbelief when, when people at events would say well the characters kind of went off and did their own thing uh, how much did that happen during the Garnet Girls? You had these ideas for these characters, maybe, a, maybe a, a, a path that you wanted to take them. How keen were they to drag you off course? Yeah, they were quite keen actually. There was a, there's um, the wild one, Sasha, who I loved writing actually. She, there's, there, there was suddenly this chemistry between between her and, and Johnny, one of the characters, and um, I hadn't had that planned at all. Um, because he he felt almost like he was going to play more of a brother role to her because he he was a close friend of the family, but um, I think it was my editor who said, "Oh yeah, definitely feeling something. You need you need to you need to explore that." And it was almost like the characters were doing it themselves, and I was like, "Okay, all right, I'll give in to that. That is that's definitely a romance that's about to happen." So I I, I drew it out more in the writing. But yeah, there were definitely moments like that um, where the characters sort of had their own say, um, even though it sounds very, very strange to say and it sounds like terrible authors speak. Um, but yeah, there's lots of things you hear at events from authors, like, you know, the plot walk is one where they get their wonderful ideas. with it. And you, when you're sitting there as, as a listener, you think, oh, can this be true? And then you find out all those things. Are, and the fact that a lot of it goes on in your head. 
Um, you remember Patrick Gale saying that to me that you know he'll he spends often spends almost a whole year promoting a book, but while he is out and about promoting that book, the the new book is taking shape in his mind. Um, and um, so, so a lot of things you find when you write your first book, you find out that that it's true what writers say. I know you're very busy. Just two more questions. They're both about the business side of uh, writing and publishing. In your work before you started writing in in PR for authors and working in the bookshop, how much did that set you up for knowing the place of your story on a shelf? Were you keeping in mind uh, more commercial aspects, genre, as I say, where where it would be sold in a bookstore? Yes, that's a, a really interesting question because it I, I I guess you know Garner Girls is a commercial novel um and I'm really proud of it I'm I'm not a sort of snobby about commercial fiction lots of people have asked me that um I think you know I, I love the idea of reaching as many readers as possible um I did tr- not I tried not to think too hard about genre and labels because you know one of the most difficult aspects of publishing is when things get pigeonholed um as a book publicist i've seen it happen time and time again and it can be so frustrating um because really what you hope you you can do as a writer sometimes not always not all writers want to do that but is that you can write in a genre that's very well established but you know bring something new to it um so of course I was aware of it of course I you know I I I kind of I knew the kind of book I did want to write and where it would sit on a shelf but I tried not to think of comp titles as they say so when you're writing a press release for a book you often say this is a cross between la la and la la yeah you know that's comps they call them um so I tried not to think too much about that. I tried to just write the kind of book I wanted to read. Um, and then when it came out, I realized it was probably quite aspirational. Um, and that the I think in many ways that, um, you know, the, 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 the Garnet Girls are living quite a glamorous life. And uh, that is sort of goes back to some writers in this area who've written in, in the past, who sadly are no longer with us, that kind of aspiration. And I think it just chimed with people post lockdown, the escapism of it. But yes, I, I know what you mean about thinking a lot about genre and where you fit. And I tried not to get too bogged down in it. Now, lastly, we've spoken about how your work in publishing helped your writing. What about the reverse of that? Since getting your debut done uh, how much has it changed your relationship with other authors you're working with do you maybe give them a bit more slack do you understand it from their side of things more i i mean i really do i really really can't believe some of the things i carelessly said to authors i you know i've just i mean my, the team that's doing the publicity for the garlic girls is absolutely brilliant and the publisher's brilliant and quite rightly have asked me to you know write short stories and but you don't realise until it's you, you know, what a big impact it is when someone says to you, can you just write 1,400 words for this short story on this for so-and-so magazine? 
And uh, you suddenly realise that you've asked authors to do that time and time again without really realising what, what a big undertaking that is if you've, if you've never written a short story before and if you haven't got an idea and you've got to get an idea and how it sort of hangs over the rest of your work and your day. And so it's been really, really interesting. And I feel um, that I understand writers so much better uh, and how long things that when you're a book publicist you get quite impatient you're just like can we, can we just get this done uh, and you realize now I realize now how long the, these things take so that's been really interesting and I've done a couple of um, very lucky to do a couple of interviews and shoots um, for, you know photo shoots and how long those take I mean I, I did a, uh, I, honestly Dan I did a magazine shoot and I think they came twice with, you know, and it was the rig- hair and makeup and then they wanted the kids in it and then they want, you know, and the kids didn't really want to do it, of course. Uh, and it was like a lot of time. And so I think it's interesting that that, that side of it, it's an honour and obviously there aren't always a lot of opportunities. So I realised to get opportunities is amazing and I feel very, very grateful. But it is interesting um, to see it now from the other side and see the demands I made on authors and to have a better understanding of them. Thank you so much to Georgina Moore for coming on the show. That brand new book is The Garnet Girls and it is out right now. Next week, we are with Greg Hurwitz, screenwriter, comic book writer, author of the Orphan X series. His new book is The Last Orphan. It's just come out. We'll hear more about that with Greg next week. In the meantime, our book club is still open. I'd love to hear the best book that you have read so far in 2023. If it's really changed things for you, if you picked it up not expecting much and it was an absolutely rip-roaring affair, I'd love to hear about that and pass it on so the rest of us can take advantage of your reading. Uh, Send me the best book that you have read so far in 2023. You can use the contact form over at writersroutine.com or just send me a standard email, writersroutine at gmail.com for that. You can also support the show, patreon.com forward slash writersroutine and drop us a follow on Twitter too. We are at writerspod there. And I will see you next week with Greg Hurwitz on the show. Until then, bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. 
Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. So you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.